Very excited this morning to welcome my friend, uh, Kathy Eikus, to share the word with us. We have, we have been in a relationship with Mark and Kathy Eikus uh, since 2003, when we sent our first team to Bosnia and Herzegovina. I, I went on a team in 2005. Again, I went in uh, 2010 and then 2017. So we have a long-standing relationship with Bosnia and the field there. And just looking forward to hearing what Kathy has to share with us about the, about the work. Father God, I thank you so much for for bringing Kathy here uh, this week to share with us about testimonies of what you're doing. I pray that you would increase our faith through hearing through hearing these testimonies, that you can increase our faith through hearing your word, and that we would grow as your disciples um, as we consider the larger mission that you are working out uh, from the time of the cross until this present day in our lives in Bosnia and everywhere where the gospel is preached. We pray your blessing on Kathy as she shares the word with us. Fill her with your spirit, Lord, anoint her words, and help us to have ears to hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, as Pastor mentioned, my name is Kathy Eikest, and Mark and I have been in Bosnia-Herzegovina since 1998. So quite a few years there. So how many of you remember uh, last time I shared from the pulpit here? About 10 years ago. Or no, I mean the first time first time, about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, something like that. Okay, do you remember what I talked about? Yeah, Bosnia, good, good. Partnership, partnership. Uh, I was speaking about partnership in that uh, episode where the disciples were trying to get the fish out of the water and the nets were breaking. They're like, help. Um, and that just came to me as I was sitting here. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember I talked to these guys about that. So, but I bring that up because you have been faithful partners for years and years and years, and we thank you very much for that. Partners in prayer, partners in coming over and helping us in very practical ways, partners in helping us in the practical way of housing our inventory and, and promoting the handcraft project, uh, partners in finances, and uh, specifically you've been uh, undergirding the ministry of our community center in downtown Sarajevo, and um, I really want to thank you for that because that's an ongoing ministry even during COVID. They've been maintaining uh, what they can uh, over the internet, just like you do here. So they've been teaching kids cooking classes over the internet and doing one-on-one -on -one, um, English classes via Zoom or Skype or whatever they're using. And so um, that is an ongoing ministry, and so they really appreciate um, your continued support in that. Um, <clears throat> how many of you have started coming here since the last time we were here? Maybe you haven't seen us before. Okay, that's cool. Um, well, you may remember hearing about Sarajevo in the 1980s when they hosted the Winter Olympics. Or, if you're a history buff, you might know that World War I was triggered when Archduke Franz Ferdinand was assassinated in downtown Sarajevo. Or you may remember that in the early 1990s, there was a civil war in Bosnia-Herzegovina. Um, <clears throat> thousands of Bosnians came to the U.S. as refugees during that time and a lot of them settled right here in New York State. I don't know if you've run into Bosnians. There's a guy at the, um, at the farmer's market selling his Bosnian goodies. I met him when I was here earlier in the year, and I know that his family is in Albany. We have lots of them in Utica and Rome. Well, Utica, Mark and I are living in Rome, New York this year. Lots of them in Syracuse. And so there are Bosnians all around us here in New York. The people of Bosnia-Herzegovina have been on a long and often painful journey but their story isn't finished yet. And that's our theme for this year, is unfinished business. Unfinished. God's work is unfinished. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. 
Thank you, Derek, for getting us pushed ahead on our slides. <laughs> in case you don't remember exactly where Bosnia is, we have a couple slides to help you. Um, when Mark and I were first asked to go to Bosnia, we said, can we pray about it? But that was also code for, can we go home and get the map out and figure out where it is? <laughs> so, but as I often say, if you can find Italy, you can find Bosnia, okay? Just look at your map, find Italy, and go across the Adriatic, and Bosnia is right there. Next slide, please. So that's a little bit better uh, representation. Look how small it is compared to France or Spain or even Italy. Bosnia can fit inside New York State about three times. And um, yeah, it's a pretty small country. Next slide. We've been living in Zenica the past three years, which is right below the word Bosnia. And it's the geographical center of the country. We could reach any, any of the borders in three hours in our car. Um, to get down to the coastline, or that, you know, if we wanted to go all the way through Bosnia, down to their coastline, it's about four hours. But um, otherwise, any border in, in three hours. So it's not a, not a very large country. Um, <clears throat> next slide. Our scripture today is Philippians 1, 4 through 6. Let's read this together. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Well, um, it's an understatement, and there's not really an accurate way to say that this has been a very strange year. It's been a strange year for all of you. It's been a strange year for us. It's been a strange year in Bosnia-Herzegovina. And um, this time of COVID has isolated a lot of us. It has completely thrown our schedules out of whack. It has caused stress just from all the transitions and all the um, flexibility and all the changes. And in fact, I have a, a special seminar coming up in a couple of weeks for me to attend on how to deal with the stress of all of those changes. But because of those changes and getting us out of our regular rhythm, maybe it's also given you some time to think and maybe do a little bit of assessment about where we are, maybe a little bit of thinking about where we're going, or maybe even an assessment of where I thought I would be by now, whether it's based on your age or finishing school or starting something new. Um, has given us time to think. In fact, maybe you've taken some time to think about your spiritual journey and where you are with that. If not, I'd invite you to do that today. Just take some time to think about where you are spiritually. Are you feeling good, really good about where you are right now spiritually? Are you happy with where you're at? Are you ready for that next big thing, that next big challenge God has for you, the next big growth spurt he's got around the corner? Are you ready? If not, that's okay. It's okay. Because God is patient, and he's here. And he'll wait till you're ready. If you have things that need to be resolved, or wounds that need to heal, or things that just feel tangled in your life that need to be untangled before you can move forward, that's okay. Because again, he's here, and he's able to help you work through that. In fact, he already knows what it's going to look like once you get past that particular tangle. 
we're all on a journey. And wherever you find yourself today, Paul has good news for you. We just read it. Paul has good news for you. He says he prays with joy because he's confident that Jesus began a good work in you, and he's the one who's going to bring it to completion. It's on him to finish it. It's not on you. It's on him. And that's good news. He will bring you across the finish line at the end of the journey. So whether you're struggling up a steep hill or it feels like you're just coasting along in the sunshine, Jesus knows where you're at today. And he will stay with you to the end. But you know, he doesn't force himself on us. We have to invite him into our story. We have to invite him into what's going on in our life. And today I'd like to tell you about two Bosnians who did that. Next slide, please. This is Refka. Some of you have met Refka. She's the blonde on the left, and this, her daughter, Arnessa. Um, Refka is the lady from a Roma family, from what you might know as a gypsy family. Um, she never had the opportunity to go to school. She was married uh, at 14 and had six children, two husbands. Um, when I met Refka, was her youngest daughter here is about 12, 13 years old. And um, I happened to ask her, Refka, do you know who Jesus is? And she looked at me kind of confused, and she said, hmm, I don't think I've heard that name before. Is he supposed to live around here somewhere? She thought I was looking for someone who lived in her neighborhood. She's like, boy, I can't help you. I never heard of that guy, which told me a lot, didn't it? 2002 and someone hasn't even heard of the name of Jesus. No idea who that is. In a country in Europe. Yeah, we're not talking about some island off of Malaysia or somewhere, you know, or maybe people don't know. Um, but God knew all about Refka, and he had a plan to find her and to engage with her and to change her life. Some of Refka's kids had been coming around. They met some Christians, and they were interested, and they were exploring Christianity, even though they came from a nominally Muslim background. And uh, one by one, her kids started coming to Bible study. They started coming to church. And, you know, the older ones were coming, who were young adults. And then the younger ones, her two younger ones, Arnessa and her brother, who were 12 and 14, they started come along to, coming along, too, because they wanted to see where the older ones were going. Must be something fun going on. And then Refka thought, you know, I should probably be a responsible parent and find out where my kids are going. And so she started coming to church as well. And she started coming to our home group as well. And one week she came to home group, and she said, um, I had this dream and I don't know what it means. And I, I explained it to my son, and he, didn't, he couldn't help me figure out what it means. So maybe I'll tell it to you, and you can tell me what it means. Now, did any of you have a class in dream interpretation in school? A Bible school students? Anybody? No. Um, I've only met one person in one church who said they did. So I don't know what school they went to, but my school didn't offer that. Um, but I knew enough that I knew... In the Bible, there's several examples of God interpreting, giving people interpretation for dreams. So I said, okay, Lord, 
if you have an interpretation for this, please let me know what it is. So Refka said, on Sunday when I came from home from church, I had a headache. I didn't feel well. So I laid down on the couch. And uh, I don't know if I was dreaming or if I was awake or I had a vision or I don't know what was going on. But I looked up, and in the doorway, I saw Jesus. And he was standing there smiling at me. He didn't come in. He just had his hands against, like, the, the door frame, and he was leaning way in and smiling at me as I was laying there on the couch. And I shook my head, and I opened my eyes again, and he was gone. What does that mean? Okay. Did that bring to mind any kind of picture for any of you? Did it, did it bring to memory any kind of verse that you might know from the Bible? Can I have the next slide, Derek? I don't know about you, but my mom had this picture in her house when I was growing up. Jesus standing at the door and knocking. Where does that come from? That's right. That's right. He says, if I'm standing at the door and knocking, if anyone opens the door, I will come in. And so I talked to her about that. I explained this to her. And I said, you know, Jesus is standing there, not coming in because he's waiting for you to invite him. But he's smiling at you because he loves you. And he's leaning in as far as he can until you invite him in. But it's your decision. You've been coming around for a while now. You've been hearing about Jesus. You've been learning about what Christians believe. But it's your decision. No one can make that decision for you. Refka, is that something that you'd like to do? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, she said. I would like to invite him in. How do I do that? And, um, you know, we've had a few talks this week with people uh, about evangelism. And... Um, Evangelism isn't really one of my strong points. I know how to explain the gospel to somebody. I know how to guide them through that. And so for me, a lot of times the Lord just drops people in my lap, <laughs> like Refka, who comes and says, hey, the Lord showed up to me in a dream. What do I do? And uh, I'm like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> I can explain that. I can, I can help you pray through that. And uh, so Refka is one of those wonderful examples. And uh, one of the joys of being in Bosnia-Herzegovina over 20 years is being able to walk alongside someone as they're growing in the Lord, as they're developing, as their kids are growing up. And um, in Refka's case, over these years, she learned to read. She learned to read and write. She learned to read so that she could read the Bible. She learned to write so that she could correspond with her kids, who are now, several of them are out of the country, all around the world. Um, <clears throat> her family got saved. All six kids, all of their spouses, several, several of her grandchildren already. And we were able to be witness to that and see how God found this woman, illiterate Roma woman, in a village, little village way back in the country that nobody knew existed, but God knew. And he changed her life. And several of her kids went to Bible school. One of them became a worship leader. And he's, pa he's a pastor today. Because God knew about her, and he cared about her, when nobody else really did. Jesus began an amazing work in Refka's life when he came to her in a dream. Her story is not finished yet. 
But like Paul, I'm confident that he's going to bring it to completion. Let's have the next slide. So the guy in the middle is um, her oldest son, Muyo, and these are his two boys. So not only did Muyo finish Bible school, and he's now working as an advocate on the national level for the Roma people, and he oversees uh, an evangelical charity to help the Roma people. These are his two boys, and the one on the left is finishing his law degree. He wants to be a human rights lawyer. And the one on the right is a children's worker. And uh, when we go back in July, we're hoping that we will be placed in the town where these guys live, in the town of Kakan, um, to start a new church with their help. Right now, there's just a home group in that town. And um, we're, as, we're, as we've been praying about it, we really feel like this is where God's leading us. Next slide. The guy in the middle here with the yellow tie is Enver. And his wife, Stana, next to him at his right, and his daughter, Yasna, on his left. Enver um, is from a Muslim family. All of his relatives, all the way back a few hundred years, were um, strong Muslims. All of his uncles, grandfather, great-grandfather, were all clerics, Muslim clerics. Even his aunt was a, was a female cleric in the, you know, the place that Islam has for that in ministry to women and, and various things that they do. But Enver's dad fought with Tito, and he was a good partisan, and he was an atheist. And Enver's mom was an even bigger atheist. Uh, in fact, she would talk, he said she would intentionally cook pork on Muslim holidays, she was, just to prove to her in-laws that she was really an atheist. Um, so he, that's how he was brought up, in the, in the heyday of socialism in Yugoslavia, the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. He had a good life. He went to high school, got his degree in graphic arts, married his high school sweetheart. It was a really good life. He was making good money, two kids, a boy and a girl, and then the war came. And he said it felt like the rug was just pulled out, under them, out from under them. The whole system, everything they had been taught, everything they believed in, gone. Just gone. And it left him with no anchor, no base, no foundation, nothing. And he went back to, went to the mosque and he paid, because he was making good money, he paid a Muslim cleric to teach him about Islam, to teach him how to pray. Of course, first he has to learn Arabic, because all the prayers are in Arabic. And Bosnians don't speak Arabic, they speak Bosnian. And so he said the more he learned, the more foreign the religion felt. And it just didn't, it didn't connect with him. It didn't feel like his culture, it didn't feel like what he knew. And um, he knew that wasn't, that wasn't right, it wasn't what he wanted. Well, as horrible as the war was, they lived in Sarajevo, and, which was under siege for four years. Um, you know, bombs being dropped, artillery shells. Uh, they had to hold up in the, in the basement of their apartment building for days and days. I mean, just horrible, horrific stuff. Um, in the midst of all of that, things got worse. 
their uh, beautiful 22-year-old son had got cancer. He had uh, lung cancer and blood cancer. And they couldn't get him out for treatment because the city was under siege, and they couldn't get any medicine in for him because of the same problem. All they could do was watch their beautiful boy waste away and die. And uh, <clears throat> as you can imagine, it really broke them. It really broke them. Enver talks about uh, crying out to God, which is interesting, since he didn't believe in God. Well, he said he would go for long walks, and uh, he, didn't, he didn't cry in front of his family because he wanted to be strong for them, but he would go for long walks, and especially in this one, this one part of the highway under, with an overpass, nobody around, he would just scream and cry and yell and uh, get all of that angst and anger and grief out and say, God, are you even there? Do you exist? If you are, let me know. If you're there, let me know. Well, Jesus had tried to enter Enver's story before. Uh, both of Enver's children, when they were young teens, they met an American missionary. But this is before the war started. They met an American missionary, and both of them gave their lives to Christ. Both of them became ardent, active evangelists, including talking to their parents and trying to evangelize their parents. But can you guess what response they got from their parents? You ever get that response from somebody? I got my thing, you got your thing. As long as you're not doing drugs, I'm okay with what you're doing. Uh, seems like you have clean-cut friends, all right? But don't, I'm not interested in what you got going on. Dado and Yasna would gather their friends in their bedroom. Not a big apartment. They would gather their friends in their bedroom and sing songs. Dado played the guitar, sing songs, and pray and read scripture, crying out to God for their parents. But the parents weren't ready. But now, Enver was crying out to God. And on his way back, this one particular day, he's walking along, and uh, in the ground, on the ground, he notices this piece of paper that's kind of muddy and but interesting looking. Remember I said he was a graphic artist. So he picks it up and he brushes it off and it's got some drawings on it and it's got some interesting words on it and he read it over several times. And on the back side of it, it had a sample prayer if you were interested in praying to God and asking him, inviting him into your life. He found a track that someone had thrown away. Who knows who printed it? Who knows who handed it out? Who knows who threw it away? No idea. But God put it there on Enver's path that day. He reached out to him in a way that would speak to him. As a man, as an artist, in his grief. This time, Enver was ready to invite Jesus into his story. And this is another journey that we've been able to walk alongside for over 20 years. Next slide. When we first went to Zenitsa in uh, 1999, there's Mark and I and uh, a lady from Sweden who was also working with us, but Enver and Stana, we all look quite a bit younger there. Um, we worked together with them 
on our first church plant and their first church plant, which is now the church in Zanitsa. And they had been believers for five or six years at that time. And so it was, uh, it was very interesting. We, were, we had just been a year out of language study. So we're trying to understand them. They're trying to understand us. But we were both uh, confident that if we prayed enough, God would show us what to do. And he did. And um, so we're thankful for that. Um, <clears throat> next slide. This is uh, a few years later when we were in Sarajevo working together with them and um, being able to see them mature in their ministry as, uh, as preachers. Stana has a fantastic gift of teaching, and often they would, they would switch off in the pulpit um, and uh, really were able to have very powerful ministry. Next slide. Well, a couple years ago, Pastor Enver retired, and there's his wife, Stana, behind him. But in his retirement, he has not stopped serving the Lord. His story is still not finished. Let me see if we got another slide up there. Nope, go back. Okay, I didn't find one then. Um, as I mentioned, his son passed away. His daughter ended up going to Bible school and married a guy who's become a pastor. And they have two boys. And in his retirement, Pastor Enver is pouring into his grandsons, and he's pouring into other young pastors in Sarajevo. And um, he still has a lot to give, and they have a lot to learn from his years of experience in ministry and his life experience. He became a Christian when he was about 50, a little more than 50, 53, 54. And um, he said he always felt like he was playing catch-up. He lost so many years that he could have given to the Lord. Um, and he's still going. He's still going. This past February, they celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And... Um, He's retired from the church, but God's still using him uh, in a powerful way. So Jesus has brought healing, life, fruitfulness, and joy to a family that was crushed by grief and war. Enver's journey is not finished. You know, these are great stories, and it's been a privilege to be a witness to them, uh, all that God's been doing, the work that he does in the Balkans, but it almost didn't happen almost didn't happen for me. Um, I have a very clear memory of being in graduate school, studying uh, for my seminary degree and getting ready to go somewhere to serve the Lord. And one morning when I was having my prayer time, I just really felt this weight of um, the seriousness of what God was asking me to do, to serve him full time. And <clears throat> I don't know about you, but... Um, Sometimes I let the Lord down. Sometimes I drop the ball. Sometimes I don't, I don't follow through on things I tell him I'm going to do. And um, so as I'm having this crisis going on, um, I said, Lord, I don't know. I failed you so many times already. What if I drop the ball? And you know what he said to me? He said, I already know if you're going to drop the ball. I'm throwing it to you anyway. I was like, oh, it's on you then. <laughs> okay. Um, it was really just a revelation that he, you know, he knew what he was doing. The second time was just a, a few days before we left for Bosnia. And um, we were living in, in Dalsville over in Herkimer County. 
packing up our things, finishing up with the church there, getting ready to go. And I was laying in bed one night, and all of a sudden I had this thought, these women have been through so much in the war. I don't need to go into all the details. You probably remember all the horrible things that happened there, especially to women. And I just could picture myself trying to share with somebody or trying to give them advice or trying to counsel them and for them to just say, you know what? You have no idea what you're talking about. You didn't live through what I lived through. You didn't go through what I went through. You didn't have the losses I've had. So you have nothing to say to me. And again, I'm like, Lord, (laughs) what am I going to do? How can I possibly speak to these women? I'm I mean, I grew up pretty uneventful life in upstate New York. Uh, I'm kind of glad about that. I'm thankful for that. Um, But I really feel like I have nothing to say to these women. What am I going to do? And the Lord said, well, can you tell them I love them? Can you tell them that I've seen what they've been through and I haven't forgotten them? That I know each of their names? And I said, yeah, I can do that. You know, when I met Refka and Enver and their families, I became a part of their story, and they became a part of my story. God has woven our lives together in a way that none of us could have predicted. The same way that he's, you know, kind of woven us together with with you guys. As Nate said, you know, we've been, been friends for a long time now. Spending time with these people who have become part of my extended family has changed me and shaped me and my understanding of who God is and how he works in different cultures. And I'll give you one last story as a quick example of that. As I mentioned, uh, I did go to graduate school. Mark and I met, actually met at graduate school at Alliance Theological Seminary. And um, so we have, you know, all this training and classes and all kinds of things, except dream interpretation. Um, And so we go to Bosnia. And we're part of this church planting team with Pastor Enver. And... um, on Sunday afternoons, we would have just an informal time to sit around, have coffee, have a few snacks, just kind of debrief and all of that. Um, and every once in a while, he would come out with this sta- some statement that was a really clear church planting principle, something that I had learned in my church planting class. And um, it would amaze me that it was almost word for word out of my textbook. And to the point that after this happened two or three times, I started thinking, wow, did they translate that book into Bosnian? Uh, Unlikely, because it's very expensive for such a small country to do that. Um, So I finally asked him, I'm like, Enver, where did you get this information? And uh, he said, oh, well, I'm in my later 50s now, and, you know, I don't need as much sleep. And so I often get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and uh, talk to the Lord for about an hour before I get my day going. And as I'm meeting with the Lord, he gives me plans and visions and insights, and uh, he teaches me during that time. I said, the Holy Spirit teaches you during that time. He said, yeah, and that's where I got it. I said, that's not fair. I paid (laughs) $20,000 for a graduate degree to learn the same stuff, and the Holy Spirit's giving it to you for free. Now, That doesn't seem right to me. He just laughed. He said, well, Kathy, the Lord knows that as an American, 
you really only appreciate the things that cost a lot of money. So that's why you had to pay for it. He said, but as a Bosnian, the Lord knows that I am grateful for anything I can get for free. But it taught me something more about the Lord. You know, as Americans, we might think, oh, we've got to find a way to translate this book. All right, get it into pastor's hands. Get it to the Bible school. And the Holy Spirit's like, ah, I got it. Don't worry. I'm waking him up at 4 o'clock every day for an hour lecture. It was amazing. Amazing. Paul tells us God's work has begun, but it's not yet finished. There is the promise that he will bring it to completion. Next slide, please. Matthew 24, 14 tells us, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world and as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are not just silent witnesses to what God's doing around the world. God has invited us to join him in his unfinished mission, not just Mark and I, but all of us. What do you say? Are you in? He's asking some of you to pray more. Next slide. Hello, next slide. There we go. Um, to join us in the spiritual battle, pushing back the darkness, softening hearts, and protecting workers. Next slide. He's asking some of you to give more, providing for the current work and making it possible to expand in new areas. As I mentioned, your church is already giving to, um, to help with our community center. And if you are a part of giving to the missions fund, I want to say thank you. Um, some of you maybe give separately. You can also give online. Um, you can give uh, specifically to a particular person's ministry. Um, but your church is already providing a way for that money to get there. So if you haven't become a part of that, I would encourage you to do that. Um, I always tell people, start with $5. Start with $5. For $5, I can take a woman out for coffee and have a significant conversation with her. Because I don't pay Starbucks prices. Um, and it can make the difference in her life. We don't know. It could be somebody like Refka that never even heard of Jesus. And that initial conversation could open the door. Next slide. He's asking some of you to go to another people group and bring them the good news of forgiveness and eternal life. Bringing fresh workers and renewed um, strength to current teams makes it possible to open new ministries. We have several places around the country who would love to have workers, and we don't have enough people to cover all of those. So when we have people come and join our team, it helps us to be able to expand what's going on. We all have a part in this together. He's getting ready to toss the ball. Are you ready to catch it? Next slide, and our final slide. Um, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this church, this congregation that has been uh, faithful partners with us for many, many years. Lord, I thank you for all of the people, even present here, who have come to Bosnia um, on a short-term team. Lord, I thank you for those who have come for even a little bit longer time. God, I ask that you would give wisdom and provision for future teams that may come or interns. Lord, you know what you have in mind. Um, I thank you and I ask you to bless this church richly. Lord, keep them close to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.
I want to encourage you all to, to consider the stories that Kathy sh shared and the ways that God is trying to reach you today. The way he's tossing the ball your direction. He's standing at the door and knocking. Amazing. Uh, an author that I, I appreciate who's long gone said, uh, the Lord is a gentleman. He goes where he's wanted. He knocks on the door. It's us, ours to answer it. Whether that has to do with uh, what he's saying to us this morning about our partnership with Bazi and this field, this is near and dear to our hearts. How is God calling you to participate in this mission? In praying, and we're going to keep prayer needs in front of you from month to month from Mark and Kathy uh, in their new mission where God's going to place them. In, in giving, in designating your giving to the Great Commission Fund online um, as you give to the church that you also give to the Great Commission Fund from month to month or to projects that Mark and Kathy are involved in. Or in going, we're going to, we're going to have opportunities to go to Bosnia. This is not an abstract thing. These, uh, this is a mission that we, we will be embarking on. So what is God saying to you? How is he calling you uh, this morning as he stands at the door and knocks in regard to Bosnia, in regard to just your life and how he's trying to speak to you or use you to speak to somebody else? So these are the questions uh, we leave with this morning. And I just want to pray a prayer of, of clarity uh, that God would reveal his voice to us and show us the next steps. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for, for, leaving, for leaving room for, for our choice. It's such a blessing to not be, not be yet another manipulative force in the world. But though you are all-powerful, though you could push us down to our knees, you invite us, and you wait, and you love us. And you stand at the door, and you knock, and you smile, and peer in, and invite us out into a new territory with you. So I pray this morning, Lord, that we would understand how to respond to your word to us, God. How to respond to the word, to the testimonies that you're doing in Bosnia. How to respond to the way you're speaking to us individually or as families and households or as a church. That we would know the steps clearly that you're calling us to take and that we'd be able to step out in faith following you, Jesus. Knowing that as it says in that passage in Matthew 24, that the end is sure that through the cross, the victory has been secured. It's just a matter of walking it out, walking it out through suffering, walking it out through difficulty, walking it out in the world, calling everyone who will listen to hear the gospel, the good news that you love them and made a way for them to come to know you and to be in relationship with you through Jesus.